0: Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brand. Many women remember the feeling of walking into Victoria's Secret and being overwhelmed by the strong smell of perfume, the bright colors and the life-size supermodels setting unrealistic expectations of beauty. Mostly they remember the lack of fit and support of its products. Third Love exists to change that. Launched in 2013 as an early mover in both the direct-to-consumer and body-positive marketing spaces, the bra brand has gained favor with women by offering half-cup sizes and products for different life stages. Its online fit finder tests, which screen women for the right bra size, are now being replicated in stores with white Club service from sizing experts. As co-founder and chief creative officer, Raelle Cohen has been there from the beginning, breaking barriers to raise funds and evolve the typical male-centric image of what bra shopping should look like. In this episode, she chats about how Third Love's D2C marketing playbook has shifted over time, how the brand is looking to connect with Gen Z, and shares advice for female founders looking to raise money in a male-dominated venture capital field. I'm Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi Raelle, how are you? Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So... Tell our listeners who might not know about 3rd Love what the brand is and what you guys are trying to do in the lingerie market. Absolutely. 3rd
1: Love um, launched about 8 years ago. We started off as a D2C bra and underwear brand that really was trying to solve the age-old issue of shopping for bras online and finding a great fit. So we have more than 60 sizes, including half-cups. We have our um, fit, fitting room tool, which helps you find your size digitally. And we're now launching into retail. So we have grown over the years. And we're really just here to provide a better experience uh, to women than what had previously been in the market.
0: Yeah, I remember when I started seeing you know ads for 3rd Love on Instagram. And it sort of felt like you guys were really tapping into something that Every single woman on the planet knows, but like no company had ever addressed, which is that bras often don't fit and they're really uncomfortable, right? So talk about like how the idea came to be and how you guys saw that white space in the market. Cause I know you've been there since, since the beginning, right? Since the beginning. Yeah. I mean, it really,
1: you, you said, you hit it right on the head. You, we tapped into a universal truth. <laughs> Mm-hmm. that all women just really dread bra shopping typically. And they they find it really hard to find a bra that fits them. And everyone has a story, you know, and that really started with Heidi and my individual stories. When we came together, we both were half cups. I had a little bit of asymmetry. I just felt like nothing in the market was servicing me. You know, we both talked about growing up on Victoria's Secret, right? And, and getting those catalogs um, and looking at them and just feeling like, oh my gosh, we're never going to be able to look like this. And and as adults and moms with young daughters, we just thought, man, there has to be a better way to do this. And that was really the catalyst for the idea, right? The idea that um, there was one major player in the market. No one had really challenged them. It was the right time for a challenger brand like us to come up. And we saw a huge opportunity, um, but we knew at the core that we would have to solve two main things for women. And that was comprehensive sizing that really addressed their needs and a fit tool that they could use online on their time, right? Mm -hmm. And not have to go into the store and go through the entire process.
0: Yeah, I think that um, Third Love might have been one of the first like online fit quizzes, right? Mm-hmm. That I, that I saw, like, I know now you can find them for meal plans and like all kinds of things, yeah. but um, yeah. How did you guys sort of come up with that idea?
1: Well, we first started with an app in the early days. So we needed to gather a lot of data about women's bodies because you can have, you know, 30 women come in, but it's not like having 3000. Right. And so we really needed to get scale and understand Beyond our own personal fit issues, what the different fit issues were in size groupings all the way up through the size range that we were hoping to launch. And so we started with an app where um, you would have on a tight fitting tank top and take pictures and then we were able to like analyze the data and over time, that wasn't as scalable because there was a lot of user error issues and other things. But in the early days, it was really critical because it gave us this baseline of data and body measurements that we were able to leverage and turn into our algorithm for the original fit finder which has now evolved into fitting room which includes style recommendations, life stage recommendations and is more comprehensive than it was at the beginning so it's really been an evolution over the years.
0: Yeah, and so Another thing that I'm assuming has evolved is your marketing strategy. I know that <laughs> back, in, back in 2013, it was kind of like the heyday right, for D2C brands, direct-to-consumer brands, and there was all this potential to grow your audience on Instagram, Facebook, social media. Talk about how that strategy has shifted over time. Is there kind of like a new playbook you've had to take on as you've grown? Are there new platforms that have been working well? Absolutely. We continue to evolve. I mean, you
1: hearken back to the early days of performance marketing (laughs) for D2C brands, right? Where everybody was just dumping loads of money into Facebook and and that was working well for people. And that just really isn't sustainable anymore for D2C brands. You really need to have... um, You can't just rely on social media for easy and quick conversions. You really have to think about the full funnel. And so we have found that Things like DR-focused OTT and streaming, as well as podcasts, have been really effective in driving interest and traffic to the site, as well as just building better brand recall over time. And we have found, um, additionally, DR-focused linear television to do the same. And so it, you really, in this day and age, as a D2C brand, you have to have a more textured marketing approach than you did in the early days. And that's really been our evolution. And another part of that coming up is retail, right? So we've launched four stores this year. We're launching more um, soon. I can't give too much away there, but we'll be launching more through the back half of this year. And so uh, you really do need to have multiple touch points in order to engage the consumer on a more meaningful level because the space is so noisy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to talk about your retail push, but I guess first, like what is it that has made social media like, less successful for D2C brands over time? Is it that there's so many more D2C brands now? Is it that like eventually you just max out on your audience? Like what kind of happens over time? and how do you adjust to that?
1: Yeah, I think it's several different things, really. It is the fact that there are so, you know, in the early days when we launched, as you said earlier, we were one of the few out there. So there were a couple other brands doing interesting things that. That we're kind of trying to break the mold of what had been out there. And so we really stood out on social at that time because we leaned into what just made us unique, you know, the fitting room, the fit finder at the time, our size range, try before you buy, all of those tactics that really brought a, brought a woman into the brand. But now, um, It's just so saturated and there are so many brands. It's hard to think back seven, six, seven, eight years ago, there weren't that many brands. And now it feels like there's a new brand launching every single day. And they're all coming up through Facebook and Instagram trying to kind of have that same success that we had in the early days. And so it just is really saturated. Mm -hmm. I think that it's always good to have a presence. Um, You know, we're looking at TikTok and other channels on social for how we can expand our social sphere. And we still obviously advertise on Facebook and Instagram, but it just needs to be a more full funnel approach for us. And we have to connect the dots for our consumer along the way. You can't just rely on performance marketing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like compared to seven years ago, my feed now is almost all D2C brands, right? <laughs> so right. definitely definitely see that how that gets difficult to stand out. So I think another thing that has been really interesting and successful for Third Love is the your the creative, um, the way that you approach the category creatively. And I know you're chief creative officer, so before you were alluding to you know Victoria's Secret was like the only game in town and mm-hmm. you know we all remember going to Victoria's Secret and looking at the models and being like these bras don't fit me and I don't look like that right so how did you sort of think about bringing third loves value proposition to life creatively
1: it's it's been a wild ride and <laughs> it's been really really exciting especially in the early days when we were Literally breaking down walls, you know, it was breaking down walls with investors who, were, who didn't get it, you know, breaking down walls with even the consumer to say, hey, listen, you can expect something different from a brand. Like, you don't have to put up with this other stuff. And so now it's like, obviously, we've grown and we've evolved and we've added on to what we were in those early days. But really, who we are now hasn't changed all that much from who we were to, at the beginning. We wanted to see, we wanted to build a brand that women could see themselves in, see themselves reflected at any size age, ethnicity, whatever it might be, we wanted someone to be able to see themselves in the brand because we knew that no one else was doing that at the time. And what's been really awesome about the trend is that many other brands have picked up on that now. In the early days, there were few. And now many brands have done that. And for me, as a creative, I, I'm, I'm thinking, good, good progress. Progress in the industry. Wow. Okay. 2022. Yeah. Women should be able to see themselves reflected in the brands that they shop. But what that means for us as a brand If inclusivity and and servicing your customer and putting them first has become table stakes, right, to a degree where brands have started to do that more, which is awesome progress for consumers, it means that 3rd Love really needs to lean into what makes us different. Um, And we will always be that to women. We'll always want her to see... We want her to see herself reflected in our brand and we'll always be that. But we also need to lean into the things that make us unique, like our fit, our sizing, our impeccable product quality, our online fitting room. And that's why we've evolved our technology over the years, because we are always putting our customers first. And while there may be other brands who have adopted this, and that's amazing progress um it's a it's a very different story to stand behind it and actually walk the walk with your sizing and your offering and the things that you do and so that's what we're going to continue to do. Are we a hundred percent there yet no it's it's a constant growth at the company
0: yeah, I would imagine i mean there's all there are so many more like body inclusive brands now that are featuring women of all different shapes, colors, and sizes in their marketing. Do you find that? Um does that challenge you to like like how do you stay at the tip of the spear and the f- like at the front of the pack on that mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for us, it is leaning into the things that make us different because that that's model casting. That's real women casting. It's campaigns that highlight real women, like the several campaigns that we've done throughout the years, like our 78 Sizes campaign, where we literally pulled women off of the street and put the same bra on 78 different women of 78 different sizes. Um, you know, we'll continue to do that and really push the envelope because uh, for us, it it does almost force the industry to react.
0: Mm-hmm. And I kind
1: of love that. i like, yes, push it. Keep pushing it, everybody, and see. But at the end of the day, we have to really deliver on the product promise. So how you... How you appear to a consumer on the outside is one thing. How they feel when they get the box at home after they've spent their well-earned money on it and they put it on their body is quite another thing. Mm-hmm. And so we have to we have to focus not only on growth as a brand, but on the product promise and what we're actually delivering to the consumer at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I know one thing that Third Love is looking to do is expand with Gen Z. Um, Third Love launched and was really popular with millennials. And now there's this new generation coming up and, and moving into their spending power. I know you recently acquired a company called Kit Undergarments. It's more of a Gen Z focused brand. So talk about you know, your strategy there, what Kit brings to the mix and how you're looking to connect with this audience.
1: Yeah, it's no secret. I mean, this is Victoria's Secret, you know, is a great model for how you can introduce a brand to a younger customer segment and have them become brand loyalists. While while we would never do it in the same way as they did, I think it's really important to learn from your contemporaries. And I think that's a really good model for how you can make sure that you're remaining relevant to multi-generations. And I think from millennial on, you know, we've built this really amazing brand around every life stage that you might have. And so we deliver that with our product promise. So if you've gained weight or lost weight, if you've had surgery, we have post-surgery bras. If you have a baby, we have nursing bras. Whereas typically, you would have to branch out into the specialty market to find those things and go to another brand, you're able to stay within the third love family. And so we've been able to do that on Millennial and Up. And so for us, Gen Z is obviously a big opportunity. And we look at the landscape that's out there of what's available right now. And there are a lot of like celebrity-driven brands um, that are, are hitting on Gen Z and some that aren't, right? There's other types of brands out there. Um, and true to third love form, I think for us, we wanted to work with a brand, which is why we acquired Kit. We wanted to work with a brand that felt a little bit more like authentic to who we were. So it would be, it would make sense and feel connected to us. And so when Kit Undergarments came our way, we really liked the fact that um, it was it was founded by stylists, right? And so they they are really, they're not the celebrity per se. They go to work with the celebrity and they actually see what the celebrity's body looks like, right? And, and they try to do these things with different undergarments to to help them look their best. And that's how Kit came to life. And so how that's really evolved over time is to say, you know, you don't need all this bluff and color and sequins and, you know, and the ultra sexy, you don't have to be anything that you don't want to be like we have natural fabrics and fibers, we're going to show you how to wear these garments so that you feel your absolute best. They're more unstructured. They don't have the wire and foam that 3rd Love bras have. But it does feel like a more natural connection to who we are as a brand. And so we'll um, continue to work with Kit and see how that evolves over time. It's really early in the process for us. Um, we've seen some initial success. Uh, but we still have a long way to go building out content and growing that customer base. But it's a huge opportunity.
0: Yeah, I guess like it's interesting because, you know, it's sort of... I was reading a little bit about it and it seems like it is a bit more of like a celebrity focused brand, right? Like a, and then there's all this talk about how Gen Z wants authenticity and Gen Z wants, <clears throat> you know, like real people, like real models and real body sizes and stuff. Like, do you find that? Is there a little bit of a contradiction with Gen Z? Like if they're being reached by these celebrities and that's resonating with them, but then like they say they want authenticity, like how do you kind of navigate that? an interesting challenge. It is an interesting challenge. And I don't think there's
1: like a one size fits all approach. You know, I don't think we can look at a single generation and say, this is the thing that they want. You know, I think that there's probably several different camps yeah. within that generation of, of people who are, have grown up on celebrity and are still compelled by that, but they are likely to grow out of that. Mm-hmm. Even within a year or two years or three years, we do see a big shift happening where it's going to take time because all of these like celebrity influencers and tastemakers are so big and have such big followings. But I do think it reaches a point of diminishing returns after a while, where if people continue to buy the product and wear the product and it doesn't do any of those things for them, that they will lose that person over time. And Mm -hmm. so I think when we think about the Gen Z market, we just want to make sure that we can continue to deliver on their product promise. Mm-hmm. And I think our that customer will find us and it may not resonate with every Gen Z person, right but I think that we can think more holistically about building a brand that feels like it could be a good segue into third love in the future and still really delivers ultimately on our like bigger brand promise.
0: Mm. And how are you thinking about uh, media? For, for reaching Gen Z? I know, obviously, you mentioned TikTok before. There's all these different gaming platforms. Like, what? What? where are you looking to find this audience and connect with them?
1: Definitely, TikTok is a big opportunity for us. Just given our product category too, there's so many educational components and things that really just resonate on that platform. So that's our focus for the immediate future. Um, the marketing team is kind of Undercover, working on a couple of additional things, but we're not—we haven't started to flex it into any of the plat- other platforms yet. So we'll continue to work on Instagram and um, our influencer and partnership strategy will be really key for us, um, which isn't obviously necessarily platform-specific, but is an important um, growth factor for that for that consumer specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, And TikTok, yeah, we'll continue to to work on that. What's interesting about TikTok is that you really have to grow your organic following um, much, much bigger before you even think about doing ads. And that's been really exciting for the team because it's been a while since we've been just solely focused on building organic virality um, and following versus having to think about the performance side. So that's mm-hmm. been really cool for the team. We're just yeah. experimenting right now.
0: Yeah. Are you noticing anything that's like working creatively or like from your perspective, any interesting findings or surprises? Yeah. I don't know if it surprises
1: necessarily, but just super lo-fi and off the cuff and imperfect. And that's really freeing too. I mean, I did a bunch of fit videos for the team and you know, my house is like a mess in the background. This was during the pandemic. And, and you know, you just kind of go with it and, and just be yourself. And that, that feels really good, because it does feel authentic to who we are. You know, mm-hmm. we obviously, we create a beautiful website, we create marketing assets. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're just we're a bunch of mostly women around here, like living our truth and trying to like, do something great and like build a great product. So to be able to have that come to life on a platform is really cool. And I think we barely scratched the surface on um, how we can get different people in the company involved um, Mm. and to be able to create engaging content that ultimately enriches our customers' life, makes them laugh in some way, um, makes them think about, oh yeah, maybe I am settling for something that, that isn't great, you know? And so that's, that's really what is the most exciting.
0: Yeah. Cool. So let's talk about your retail strategy. Third Love recently opened a few bricks and mortar stores in California. You're planning for um, a bunch more throughout the year. What's the strategy there? I mean, I know shopping habits are changing after the pandemic. People are going back into stores, but uh, e-commerce is huge. So talk about you know why it's important for Third Love to have a bricks and mortar presence.
1: It's definitely important, I think when it comes to bra shopping as good of a job as we do on our um, on our ecom platform and obviously we've grown our business and it's been really successful. there are still is no sub- complete substitution for the physical touch and being able to go into a space. And so what is really great? Um, you know obviously D2c brands have their own challenges in other ways compared to our contemporary brick and mortar first, companies um, that are out there, we also have some advantages. And one of the advantages is we have, we started as D2C. So we have so much data on our consumer. We're able to really hone in on markets where we think a store would be a huge value add, whether it's an untapped market that we think has a lot of potential or a market that is already really strong for us. And so that's kind of how we're thinking about it as a way to um, attract more consumers. We've seen that about 60% of customers are new in stores on average. Some stores are much higher than others, which is great to see. So, we've also seen that over time, if someone comes to the store, then they're more apt to shop online later, which is awesome, which is kind of what you want to see. So, for us, retail, um, you know, we're starting slow. We're not going to blink our eyes and have 200 stores or anything like that. But now is an amazing time. There's lots of premium spaces available. You no longer have to get locked into leases that are 20, 30, 40 years long, right? Mm -hmm. Like what used to be in retail. So there's a lot of macro dynamics that are working on our side and other D2C brand side when it comes to getting into those premium spaces in premier markets. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it just felt really obvious that the time was now.
0: Yeah. So you come from a retail background, right? You were at Target mm-hmm. and Charlotte Russe. So how are you thinking about physical retail differently this time with 3rd Love?
1: Well, we want, I mean, we want to be able to create a space that some a woman walks into and she can breathe. <laughs> you know? I think when you think about just the other stores, you know, Victoria's Secret and other stores that have existed over the years, you walk in and it's kind of, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot of smells and the loud music and a lot of color and huge glossy model images. And again, it's just hitting you over the head with all the things that you're not. And when a woman walks into the third lab space we want her to be able to see herself in that space. We want her to feel like she belongs. We don't want her to feel um, feel intimidated. We want her to feel welcome, and we want to create just a clean, beautiful space where their product really shines. Where she can get white-gloved, uh, you know, white-gloved customer experience from our fit stylists who are in the store. She can get recommendations, and she can get um, a great deal if she thinks about building her top drawer. And so we've really tried to recreate our e-commerce experience in store. Um, And I feel like it's a breath of fresh air. You know, I walk into the stores and we'll continue to evolve the designs a little bit over time. Of course, we're learning as we go Mm -hmm. about what's working and what's not working in the store. Um, But it's just a really clean, neutral space where a person can feel welcome.
0: Yeah. Just as you were describing Victoria's Secret, I had like a visceral memory of the perfume that they would have in the stores (laughs) yeah, and you can almost taste it (laughs) yeah and like i don't know The, the whole experience has always just been about shopping for men right like it's really like a straight man's vision of like what bra shopping should be like so how i mean i know you were describing a bit about you know making the space feel comfortable um like how are you adapting the fit test to the stores? Like, is it that the the customer service rep works with you on that? Or is there like a digital component to it?
1: There is. It we learned a lot in our first pop-up in New York. So we had a pop-up open there for about five months and then the pandemic hit. And so we were able to just we had to close it down. And the fit and digital fit finder experience was Dominant in that store. I mean, you walked in and there was iPads and the stylists were trained to take you through the fitting room. And what we really found is that we created a lot of bottlenecks and a lot of barriers for women. Just, you know, they had already probably taken the fitting room online or the fit finder and they wanted to come in and they wanted to like touch and feel their product in real life. And some women even bring in their bra. Oh, I bought this online. I just want to get a fit check and make sure and then buy more. So now for these stores, we made sure that there is a digital component in the store. Um, we have QR codes where a woman can go do the fitting room if she wants to. But really, we've trained the store team to be able to kind of hone in on ask some of those questions that we have in the fitting room to make it a more personal face-to-face experience versus digital Um, But of course, you can always, a lot of people, more than you would think, come in and say, I already did it. Can you look up my thing for me? And they'll look it up and they can talk through it. Mm -hmm. Um, What's really cool about the fitting room, which a lot of people don't know, is it really comes from what a really, really good fitting uh, bra fitter does in person. So if you are fortunate enough to live in a city that has one of those amazing boutiques where a woman can really precisely fit you, which not everyone does, right? Um, That's really what the fitting room is built off of. So she may be measuring you, but she's looking at you. And within seconds, she's saying, what style cup is she wearing? Is she gaping? Is she overflow? What brand is she wearing? What does the neckline look like? What are the straps doing? And she's computing all of that in her head. And those, those are hidden gems. You know, there's maybe 20, 30 women in the country that do that. And so the fitting room really is democratizing what that experience is. And so we've trained our fit stylists to be able to talk through that with women, look at them, be able to assess. And there's a there's a range of different comfort levels of whether some Someone wants you to come in the room with them or not. Mm -hmm. And so we use utilize the digital tool as we
0: see fit dependent on where somebody is in their own personal journey. Mm. So do you see your business like what do you you see as the split between e-commerce and bricks and mortar over time? Is it always going to be like an e-commerce dominant model? I don't know. We'll
1: have to see, right? I don't have a crystal ball, so it's hard to say. Um, I think we'll probably always have some dominance in e-commerce over brick and mortar it would t- i think it would take us time obviously to build enough of a f- footprint on the brick and mortar side for it to be super super um, meaningful to our business but you never know i never say never in this industry <laughs> because things are changing all the time
0: yeah for sure i kind of want to circle back to something you you alluded to before which is you're also a, a co-founder of the business and you mentioned fundraising right it was difficult how did you mm-hmm. approach that like you know you're you're women and you have this female centric idea and you're i'm assuming approaching a lot of male vcs how did you how did you get the message across like what tips do you have for another female founder who wants to do something raise money and and change the way that things are for women
1: that was yeah that was such a <laughs> Um, going back in my mind, that was such an interesting process. I'd love to say that in the VC world, we've come so far and now there's all these female driven funds and there are, right? But there really aren't many more than what there were in those early days when we first went out, which is sad. You know, I, I want to see more female led funds um, and major kudos to the women out there who are leading funds right now uh, and really um, are are helping to grow these, these female businesses because we're amazing business people and we have so many ideas and we need to work on that side of the industry a little bit more. So unfortunately, I can't say that it's changed very much. But in the early days when we were fundraising, you know, there were a ton of no's not even to get in the door. And if we did get in the door, there was a lot of like, I don't get it. I'm not going to invest in it because I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't understand that this is an issue. Um, And we ended up, you know, over time connecting, obviously, we have some amazing investors in our portfolio. And those, um, those companies really became investors because they took the time to understand what the problem was and to understand how meaningful it is for women when when their fit and comfort of their bra gets solved how empowering that is and i'm not saying you know you have a great bra and your entire life changes but at the end of the day like you deserve to feel your absolute best every day when you put on your clothes and your bra is a fundamental part of that and so you know with with some of our key investors there were times in those meetings where you could see the room turn and you could see them lean in and you could see them engage. And that was so awesome to see. There was a, a one experience in particular where I kind of went off on a tangent, <laughs> like how women feel and what it does. And, and, and you could see the, the partners and husbands around the table lean in and, Oh, my wife has said that to me or, Oh yeah. And you could see them. Um, really, really start to understand the problem. And that was awesome. So I think it's like, you have to really advice for others. You have to really lean into the thing that makes you different and not be afraid to really articulate in those meetings, how impactful the product could like the impact that the product could make on a person's life. And you almost have to get them to put themselves in somebody else's shoes and I think when we were able to do that, the issue became really obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it was a challenge. It was hard.
0: Yeah, I bet. Well, you definitely uh, had some success somewhere along the way. So yeah, there's some goodies out there. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. what, can, um, what can we expect from, from 3rd Love Next in terms of creative, marketing? Like, What do you have? What are you excited about? Yes, I'm very, very excited to. We're kind
1: of coming up on a renaissance for the brand to a degree of really leaning into the products that make us unique and our wired bras and our sizing. And so we've really unpacked in the last year, the nuance between our different um, segments. So prospect versus 1X customer versus 2X customer. And so we have, you know, there's a million things we could say to women, like we're so excited about all the things we do. And there's a million things we could say. But if we ask them, the consumer to burn so many mental calories, we're just going to lose them along the way. Right. And so for us, we have a laser focus this year and into the next year on really defining the messaging and the creative for each of these individual segments, because it is a journey. And a consumer's journey within the brand has to be curated. Because if it's not, they're going to just get confused and you're going to lose them. So there's a lot of power in that for us right now. And my creative team is really excited to be able to dig in to the nuance of what makes each of those segments tick how they can bring somebody along in the journey and make them feel like a part of the brand and really include them. And so we've started to make progress, which is amazing. We still have a long way to go. But everyone internally is really has a lot of energy
0: around that right now. And do you um, work with an agency or is it just your, your in-house team? It's our in house team right now. We do work with agencies
1: from time to time on um, larger scale brand campaigns or commercials, but we haven't in over a year. So it really is the internal team. I mean, I have an amazing creative team. We have a really strong brand marketing team, and the two are really connected. And like I always say, I just feel like people. We're, we have no lack of ideas here. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And so while we do um, really appreciate our agency partners and love to partner with them from time to time, and it's great creative synergy, it's also amazing to be able to do some of these things internally because that just hasn't always been my experience at mm-hmm. other brands.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I think D2C brands really like are p- kind of pioneered almost the in-house model. And I think it, it really works.
1: Yeah, it does. You just have to be kind of fearless because I think sometimes agencies make you, they definitely, they, they share some of that risk with you to a degree, even though you're the brand and you live and breathe it, Mm -hmm. They can make you feel a lot better about taking a risk. And when you do something internally, you really do need a team of fearless people because you do feel like you're
0: kind of like standing on the corner naked sometimes.
1: And you're like, is this going to hit? You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no. Well, Keep keep being fearless. Keep doing brave things because it's great for women. And thank you so much for joining me today. It was great to have you. Thank you. Yeah. What a great conversation. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.